You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Last in the series, Making Disciples. We spent five weeks looking at foundations as a church. We looked at the Nicene Creed, and we looked at God our Father, the ever-presence, the eternal Son, the ever-present Spirit, the church and baptism, and hope and eternity. And in some respect, it's a little bit like an epistle. If you read like the book of Ephesians at the back of the Bible, the first half is all about doctrine. This is about God, God, God. And then the second half is often about practical things. And we have been looking at a five-week series on making disciples. This is not telling the world how to behave. This is if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is how you're going to express your faith. And if you're looking in this morning, you can think, oh, okay, so this is how it would impact my life. Whereas if you are a Christian, this is something that we'd say God wants to speak to you about. Today, I am going to tackle the subject of, I'd like you to lean forward, really, like a little bit of engagement, (laughs) the subject of materialism. Oh, in December, Pete, yes, I thought I'd leave it, punch you in the eyes right before Christmas. Christmas, in our country, in the UK, we spend £446,000 a minute on presents for the whole month of December. It's almost half a million pounds. The average household in the UK spends £2,000 a month, but in the month of December will increase it by £500. If you are a family here with children under the age of 18, the average is £2,700 that will get spent on Christmas. Yeah, you want to send your kids out because they're they're now expecting big presents. (laughs) 57%, that's half the church, 57% will overspend their Christmas budget. One in four will end up putting it on plastic. Two minutes after leaving the till, two minutes after leaving the till, Only 16% of us know exactly what we spent. And 32% of us haven't got a clue of the price of the thing we've just purchased. That's a third of us within two minutes. Why? We fall for this whole thing of consumerism and materialism. You think about it, we even give objects names, we personify them so that it almost takes away, well, it's just an object. In my house, I have, well, in my possession, to be honest, some of them in the office, eight bookcases, all called Billy. I mean, why on earth is a bookcase given a name? Because actually there's an identification with it, isn't there? We know that shopping doesn't satisfy. Just this last week, I was in Ealing and I bought something, and I know it won't satisfy, even though it's an item of clothing, because when I look at the name of the shop, it says, next. So it knows I'm coming back. (laughs) This is not just a new phenomenon. 2,000 years ago, 
2,000 years ago, subjects of the Roman Empire used to dedicate sacrificial offerings to an ancient Greek goddess who promised victory. They believed the financial cost of this was worth it. Somehow, if they only associated themselves with her name, the success of the goddess would rub off on them. Her name was Nike. Some things have never changed. If we pay the price, maybe success will rub off on me. The problem so often with this subject is we don't compare ourselves with the world, we compare ourselves with our own bracket. I would like to suggest this morning that this is idolatry. Idolatry. Paul, when writing to the church in Colossae, says this, Put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's a huge challenge, isn't it? Let's be honest. I, I, look, they always say, if you point one finger at somebody else, you point three at yourself. I am not standing here feeling perfect. I felt very challenged preparing. I've been reading about this for the last couple of weeks. Jesus himself said in Luke 12, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Tim Keller, who leads a church in New York, He's written a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in it, he says this, money is the most common counterfeit god there is. I found it fascinating because as as a pastor, I have the privilege of serving people. And sometimes when you get together with people, very honest on things. They've confessed and suddenly says, oh, this has happened, this has happened. I think I've worked full-time for the church for maybe 20 years. I don't know that anyone has ever confessed to me that I'm greedy. I think, are we on guard? Most of us live with this paradox. Listen carefully. We know that having money does not guarantee happiness, and yet we think that our lives would be better, more fulfilling, and more satisfying If only we had more money. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. You've been challenging our hearts this morning. And this whole topic about making disciples, and we're aware that we live in a culture, and we're aware of our own hearts. I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that you'd give us the courage to respond to what you've got to say. In Jesus' name. Amen. You see, God made us to love people and use things. I think the big challenge is that we end up loving things and using people. Paul David Tripp, he's a writer, says this, that so often in our heart, there is a self-love trinity. It's about my needs, my wants, my feelings. 
The Bible has got loads of warnings about this. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. That, that, that is a, just a huge challenge, just that one verse. If we were just to take away and think about that, as we're disciples, are we those that are storing treasures on earth? Jesus goes on to say in the same book in Matthew, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. And I know some people have said, oh, was that a gate in the sort of wall of Jerusalem, you know, where they had to take all the possessions off the camel and, and they got down on his knees. Well, I read one commentary said this week, no, no, it was an actual needle. He was just being so sarcastic. I mean, how on earth are you going to get a camel through the eye of a needle? It's a challenge to us. I love the fact that the Bible is so honest There are examples in the Bible where materialism just ends up getting people into trouble. I think of Achan in Judges chapter 7. Sorry, Joshua 7. He was the one that they were told, you can go into the land, but don't take any possessions. Dedicate them all to God. And he sees them and thinks, I'm going to have them. He puts them under his tent. What happens? The people of God are defeated. And suddenly it comes out. And he says, oh, it's just a few things. You see, they got into his heart. I think of Balaam. Balaam in Numbers 22. He was prepared to curse the people of God because he wanted the possessions. He wanted the gold. I think of Delilah in Judges. She was prepared to trade her lover for money. I think of Gehazi in 2 Kings 5. He lied to the man of God. If you know, this king came and he basically gets healed of leprosy. And, and he says to the prophet, can I give you anything? And the prophet says, no, 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 you go. And the servant goes, golly, what a fool. And he runs after him and says, oh, he's actually got someone coming. Could you give us a few outfits? And the prophet says, what are you doing? You see, it was his love for the material things that he ends up getting cursed and picking up leprosy. I guess fundamentally, I think about the life of Judas. What he betrayed Jesus himself. For 30 pieces of silver, materialism just got into his heart. I've often quoted a guy called Randy Elkhorn. I was going to say, read him. You probably don't need to. Most of this sermon is from him. He talks about principles. The first principle is this. God owns everything. I am a steward. When it comes to material possessions, God owns it all. It says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live it, you know, this is all God's. I'm never quite sure I believe that. John Wesley once was told, wasn't he, that he was out preaching and someone said, your house has burnt down. And he said, it's not mine, it's the Lord's. I think, oh wow, what an attitude. I feel God challenging my heart on this. I had some people come in our house and something got broken this week and I'm thinking oh golly I've got to pay and restore that and then you think oh no it's not mine everything's God's he even says in Deuteronomy 8 remember the Lord your God for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth so if you have a good business if you have a good job you know I don't know if you've got property and you're getting an income it comes from him He owns everything. Do you know what I find this challenging? I was raised as a good Baptist. 
And we always taught our kids from day one, you tithe. When I used to get 10p pocket money as a child, 1p would put into him. I did what I liked with the rest. But stewardship changes all of that. Because it's not about what I give him. It's, oh, actually, it's all his. One day I'll give an account on how I've spent it all. Number two, my heart always goes where I put my money. Matthew's got a lot to say on this, hasn't it? For where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. Money leads, hearts follow. If you give your stuff to the poor, your heart will follow. This church is a generous church. I love that. I know Matt and Tiffany, I think we're going to be praying about this later, did some offerings last week for things for the homeless in Ealing. And I believe they've got 15 small bags and 15 large packs that they're going to give away. I saw them sorting out all the stuff at the end of the meeting that people had given. So if you give there, then your heart goes there. If you've got a heart to tell people about Jesus all around the world and you give there, your heart follows. Jesus said, didn't he, it's about the heart. Materialism about the heart. We can be materialistic with nothing or with everything, because it's the heart. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, or you're devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The verse we often jump to, but I think I don't want to avoid it, is 1 Timothy. The love of money. I'm amazed, to be totally honest, that 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 verse is in the Bible. I think if you're in South Africa, it would probably be the love of sport. You know what I'm saying? I guess if you're in Italy, it'd be the love of food. No, no, God wrote to everyone and said, the love of money. The love of money. Mark Allen Powell, he was an author I read one of his books in preparation for this. He said, the point isn't how we spend money. Sorry, the, the point isn't how we spend our money reveals what sort of people we are, but that how we spend our money determines what sort of people we become. Because your heart follows your money. Number three, heaven, not earth, is my home. Heaven, not earth, is my home. Last couple of years, our family, now I think, golly, shall I even be confessing this on a talk on materialism, have actually been on package holidays. <laughs> not package holidays. We've we just done Airbnb abroad. And because you get fl- cheaper flights, you know what I'm saying? We literally just go with hand luggage. You think, oh, what do you need when you're going off to somewhere sunny? You know? And I think, oh, it's a whole different mentality, isn't it? I think, I just want to go and relax for 10 days. I've just got a little amount. I'm just going to go there. I'm visiting. I'm traveling light. I'm not there to stay. I'm not setting up home. Well, the author to Hebrews tells us that's how Christians live on this earth. Hebrews 11, which is the the list of all those that have lived by radical faith, it says this. These people were living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So that's our mentality. That's our thinking. If we're Christian, we think, oh, actually, I'm passing through. Number four, giving is the only antidote Giving is the only antidote for materialism. John Wesley, I quoted him earlier. He had quite a lot to say about money, actually. He was quite a radical guy um, when it came to this. You may not agree with this one, but I thought, let's be provocative and put it under somebody else's name. 
if you have any desire to escape the damnation of hell, give all you can. Otherwise, I have no more hope of your salvation than that of Judas Iscariot's. That's what John Wesley said. He was always saying, oh, come on now. Look, I'm not trying to say you earn your salvation, but I think what a provocative statement the guy was bringing. You see, we all part with our money. The only choice is when. John Wesley said, actually, I want to give it while I am here. I read a story this week about a rice farmer in Nepal who had his last few bits of rice, and he decided to give it. And he didn't have money, but in the offering, he decided to give his last few bits of rice. And someone said to him, that's ridiculous. You shouldn't give your rice because you need it to live. And his reply challenged me. He said, I don't need to live, but I do need to worship. Oh, you know what I'm saying? I thought he wasn't. It wasn't out of the abundance. He was just saying that, actually, I do want to worship God. And part of my worship is I want to come and give some my rice. And I thought, golly, how challenged am I? Uh, Richard uh, Forster has, has written a book, Money, Sex, and Discipline. He says this, we need to find ways to shout no to the God money. We must dethrone it. So step on it, yell at it, laugh at it, list it way down on the scale of values, engage in the most profane act of all, give it away. The powers that energize money cannot abide that most unnatural of acts, giving. And so I want to challenge us that we'd be a most generous giving church. What comes first, joyful giving or generous giving? I think it's a bit like what comes first, chicken or the egg. You know what I'm saying? I think actually the two go round and circle together. The fifth thing that I want to bring to you this morning on this challenge of being disciples, radical disciples, is God prospers us not to raise my standard of living, but my standard of giving. Again, um, John Wesley was an example of this. I can't remember exactly. Someone tell me afterwards, get slightly wrong. But he's something. He set his standard for his whole year of being like twenty-eight pounds, and one year he earned thirty pounds, so he, he had twenty-eight and he gave the two away. The next year, you know, he got up to earn a hundred pound, but he still lived on the twenty-eight and gave all the rest away. It says in two Corinthians, Paul writing to the church, "Look, I want you to excel." I want you to work in everything: faith, speech, knowledge earnestness, to you excel in the grace of giving. Golly, that, that's a real challenge, isn't it? And my last church, I'll be honest, we did a church weekend away, and it, it, it was quite fun, to be totally honest. I think we, we went to a place that had a little golf course, and we played golf, and it had an indoor swimming pool, and that was really nice. And uh, we did do one meeting on the Sunday, but apart from that, there's a campfire, and we you know had these marshmallows around the campfire, and uh, then we did like an hour, I remember. And at the end, someone came up to me and said, Pete, my only complaint about the whole weekend. I thought, oh, no, I thought it'd be such a good time. We'd had three hot meals a day. I mean, this place, you know what I'm saying? Breakfast, dinner, and tea, all hot meals. I said, the only complaint is you didn't take an offering on the Sunday morning. I said, really? <laughs> they said, yeah, because 
that is my gift. And I want to excel in it, and you robbed me of the opportunity. And I felt really challenged. <laughs> I felt like saying, well, you can start here. No. <laughs> I didn't want to be flippant. I thought, oh, how do I honestly learn? Jesus, in Luke, says this, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Hudson Taylor, he was a missionary to China. He said this, the less I spend on myself and the more I gave to others, the fuller of happiness and blessing did my soul become. It's quite a challenge, isn't it, this morning? You think, oh God, I think you are doing a heart challenge on me. I haven't got long to speak about this, but I know that there is the whole thing of what about the wealth and prosperity gospel? Well, how do you, how do you answer that? Because I'm saying about giving stuff away. I know that some people say, oh, but if you're a kid of the king, surely you could drive a Mercedes. <clears throat> if you do drive a Mercedes, I'm not anti that. That's between you and God. I would say this. The kid of the king was born in a stable. The kid of the king's parents gave the cheapest offering they could for the gift of a child. We know that he had no place to lay his head. I do believe that God will prosper you, but it's not that you keep it, so that you give it. So I think there is prosperity in the whole gospel. But actually, it's not so that actually I get more and more. It's actually so God trusts me to give more and more away. I've run out of time. I'll give more examples. I I quote somebody else because, again, I think hopefully this punches you and it's not all down to me. Randy Elkhorn, he says this, If wealth is a dependable sign of God's approval and lack of wealth shows his disapproval, then Jesus and Paul were on God's blacklist and drug dealers and embezzlers are the apple of his eye. And I think most of us say, look, I'm not sure that's true. Okay, well, let's just think about that one over lunch. Look, I'm not, therefore, going to the other extreme of asceticism. Asceticism is this thing that actually all material things are wrong. I am not saying that. I'm not saying that you are not worthy to have good things in any way, shape, or at all. I guess what I would challenge us is what about the role of simplicity? Simplicity means joy in God and his creation. It means contentment and trust. It means freedom from coveting. Simplicity to me means modesty in things. It means receiving material things gratefully without using money and abusing money. It means giving generously and joyfully. Could we be those that actually we live simply? I would like to say a couple of practical things. The danger I know with anything practical is you think, oh, I do or I don't do that. I'm not trying to puff up pride, and I'm not trying to beat you up. and saying, how do we make this practical? As a church, we do encourage people to start giving, give regularly, tithe, and be generous. There are envelopes at the back. We'd love you to get involved. At our carol service, we will be taking an offering. The theme is a home for Christmas, and it will be for those that don't have a home for Christmas. And I would love it if that's almost a chance for us as a church, rather than our guests, to think, you know what? We can be generous. Oh, this is a chance to give. 
in, from January onwards, we are going to be taking an offering in our kids' work. So if you're a parent, I would encourage you to start thinking your kids through finance. That's years one to three, which I believe is mini heroes, and year four to six, which are superheroes. I'm not encouraging you just to chuck them some money. I'm encouraging you to give them an allowance and ask them to start giving themselves. I guess practically, how do we approach Christmas? I would encourage you, create a budget and stick to the budget. Resist the urge to keep upgrading on everything. Use technology to shop around. I was chatting to my next door neighbors yesterday. I live in Hanwell. I'm not saying everyone does this. I, uh, they own the house next door. In fact, they own another house in another country, so they're fairly well off. And they said, do you know what? This year we've decided we're going to do all our Christmas shopping at, at a charity shop. I thought, isn't that interesting? You know, just living in Hanwell, it's not like they haven't got any money. You know, in fact... Oh, golly, think about it. She's got a house in London as well, and he's got a house. And the, you know, but they just felt like, wouldn't it be better to try and live like that? And I thought, wow, I feel quite challenged by my neighbors. Concluding, I'm coming into land. Ecclesiastes 5. Ecclesiastes 5 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. This was written by Solomon and, and some would say, you know, Proverbs was his wisdom and almost Ecclesiastes, the end of his life. What he's saying here is the more you have, the more you want. The more you have, the less you're satisfied. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The more you have, the more people will come after it. The more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. The more you have, the more you have to. I watched this television program about billionaires. Uh, I don't know why. I hadn't recorded it or something. You know, you just suddenly thought. And I found absolutely gobsmacking how many billionaires are worried about their money. They're worried that the markets are going to go and they're going to lose it all. You know, they've got these safe houses so that if somebody attacks them, they can sort of shut themselves down. And I thought, wow, I thought that people that earn very little would worry about money. But I didn't realize that, oh, everybody seems to get caught up in worrying. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of his owners. I think there's a difference between saving and hoarding. It's a heart issue. God is challenging the heart. Or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. It's funny, isn't it? The more you have, the more you can lose. It just goes round and round. I'm not anti-money. I'm just challenging us to be radical disciples. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. The more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Christmas surely is the time of year when we think about God gave his son. Someone once said, you're never more like God 
than when you're giving. And I would love to challenge us on this whole thing of a materialistic society. Are we genuinely those that are really generous? In whatever setting we're in, we want to live lives of simplicity and generosity. I'd like to pray for all of us. If you think, I don't need prayer, then I suggest maybe read Tim Keller's book because I think it is the challenge for all of us. I am very aware myself of how much this has been challenging me. Father, we thank you that you are the God who gave. We thank you that we come before you and know your liberal generosity. Father, we do thank you for the things you've given us. Everything belongs to you. Lord, we thank you for clothes and homes. We thank you, O God, for cars and food. Father, you've given us so many good things. We don't want to reject everything physical. That's not our heart at all. But God, we also don't want to just fall into line of materialism. Where it's about how much more I can accumulate and gather and what else I can add to my personal belongings. It's mine, mine. But personally, I know this can be an area where I worry, and I don't want to worry, I want to trust you. God, I thank you this church is generous. I thank you for the packs that are going to go out to the homeless because of generosity. I thank you for those that will be coming this afternoon to serve the foster party. Lord, we thank you for the generosity of people give. But God, I pray we don't ever get complacent. I pray that we're disciples that radically chase you. Lord, some of us as individuals or couples could look back on 2018 and say, what a privilege to be able to give that much this year. God, I pray we'll excel in giving in 2019. Who knows, maybe we could give away even more. We ask you to keep us soft to hear in your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.